Hey friends, it's Nicole and Kate, your girls from across the globe, Sydney, Australia, and Puerto Rico to be exact, and we're so excited to be sharing this time with you. I'm Kate. And I'm Nicole. And welcome back to another Candid Conversation with us. Each week, we bring you a new conversation about a topic that we can relate to. We share our own experiences and thoughts in the hopes that you'll realize that one, you're not alone, and two, that open and honest convos can lead to awesome discoveries, shifts in perspectives, and energy to move ahead with confidence. Because that's what real friends do. They provide love, support, and space for one another to share without judgment, speak without hesitation, and to learn from each other, even when we don't agree. And with that, let's dive in. Hi, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we almost did it at the same time that time. (laughs) I think we did, unless there's a delay, but we literally said hello at the same time. (laughs) Okay, okay. Yeah, it will come through right on then. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Good. I was just looking on Instagram at your pics from your mama's birthday. It looks (gasps) like it went really well. It was a success. We threw her a little 80th birthday. 80. What a milestone. Wow. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's huge. And your mom looks so good. Oh my gosh. I keep telling her, people kept telling her, and you know what I love? I love that she's loving the compliments. You know, you never, it never gets old. (laughs) Oh, good. She needs to just like eat that up. I hope that when I'm 80, I'm looking like her and that my kids are taking me out for an 80th birthday party. That's awesome. I know. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. How was your weekend? Good, good. It was good. Um, Very relaxing. We're prepping um, to leave for a conference this week. So, you know, we're kind of checking checking boxes. We did a a brunch over at a friend's house, which was so fantastic. Our friends Ted and Arlene had us over. Yum. Oh my gosh. So tasty. Yeah. Um, Well, today I'm so excited to be on the mic with you. And today is another one of our special guest episodes, friends. Yay. Yay. Today we've invited on one of our good friends to chat about mental health. Um, As we know, the last couple of years haven't been easy. And, you know, we all have varying levels of this. And that's why we wanted to invite this friend on today. We are looking forward to opening up about a topic that Nicole and I are very passionate about, um, but that we definitely are not experts on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that is why we are excited to bring Katie Van Buskirk on, who is an expert. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, I've had uh, people reach out who actually requested this topic, but I feel mm. you and I are on the same page about wanting to discuss an issue like this with an expert, you know, feeling yeah. like, yeah, it'd be great to have the perspective of someone who's in the field and, um, you know, can share a little bit more about the ins and outs from a more professional perspective. Absolutely. I'm really curious to dive into this conversation uh, with Katie. You know, both of us know Katie quite well from living in San Diego together. We were all neighbors. Um, We've shared many a game night and dinners and walks on the bay um, and all that fun stuff. And yeah, I'm glad that people have requested this topic because when you brought it up, I was thinking I'm really interested in learning more as well. Mm. Um, So I met Katie on the bay in San Diego. Do you like literally met her on the bay? We were on a walk and that's really? when I met her. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember when you first met Katie? 
Oh, it would have been a while ago now, but it was at your place. You and John hosted always. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I just have so many fond memories of you guys just opening your apartment up to all these great people. And it was one of your game nights, one of your parties uh, that Katie and Ryan were there. And they were just, they were the sweetest couple. Just lovely, mm-hmm. lovely people. It's been a while since I've spoken to her. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have Katie on is that you know, in addition to having someone who's an expert in the field, I feel like I don't have the language to discuss the topic. Um, and I think it's mostly just due to the way I grow, grew up, the time that I grew up in. Uh, I don't think we really had a way to talk about mental health. And so, you know, in, in some ways, I feel it's a responsibility of mine as a business owner to look out for my team and make sure that we have mental wellness in check. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that I want to, you know, look out for, for the people in my life, my family, my friends. Um, I've shared on the podcast before that I had a personal experience, a situation that I've talked about before when I was living in Japan in my early twenties, you know, and I had a, a challenging time that I would say related to, you know, my mental wellness and my mental health. And I remember at that time, I just, I wasn't equipped to deal with it. Uh, I got through it thankfully, but I believe had I gone through it now, I think I would have had I'm pretty sure actually I would have had a different experience. Yeah, isn't it? it looking back and and I think maybe for me, you know, I look back and and some of that maybe had to do with maturity, life experience, confidence, like a lot of those things, right? Bring on different reactions to certain emotional situations. And yeah, I think of like when I went away to college, I had a really hard time with not being at home um, and and a couple other uh, instances that I'm sure we're going to dive into with Katie. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Katie on. Katie, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you both. Yeah, you too. We were just reminiscing about San Diego Bay Posse days. <laughs> Those were good times. And, so good. And, and Kate's amazing parties. That's where I met you and Ryan for the first time. For yeah, one of those that's where game nights. many a good friendship were developed and, and game nights were had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Katie, we are excited to dive into our convo, but we thought it would only be proper for you to introduce yourself to our friends who are tuning in today. So can you just give us a little bit of background? Absolutely. So my name's Katie Van Buskirk. Uh, I have a PhD in clinical psychology. Um, and what that boils down to is day to day, I do therapy with individuals, predominantly over telehealth, which was something that especially grew with COVID and has kind of become pretty normal within the field, even as more people are moving back to offices. So that's what brings me here. Yeah, that's super interesting that you talk about it like being mainstream. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but I feel like it has become a lot more uh, talked about. It's a lot more out there, which, you know, I think that's a good thing. I think that people should feel comfortable talking about um, doing counseling, having a therapist, wh- however you want to refer to it, um, that it shouldn't be like shame around that or anything. So I think that that's a good thing for sure. But you say that since COVID, it's definitely been an uptick, you feel? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, essentially, everything shut down in person. Um, and there were there are some institutions that were already set up for telehealth. And so for they them, they kind of took off as you've, as we've seen in the market, like different companies have 
met the demand more easily. And I think there are a lot of people who um, they don't want to go back to having to go in person, whether it's for I have a sore throat and I just need to get some antibiotics to, like prescribed or it's therapy. Um, there are a lot of things that translate pretty easily over video conferencing. It's not perfect, um, but there are so many people that can just fold whatever appointment into a lunch break or into, I just got out of the office, but I'm in my car. And there, there's a lot of ways that it's made life easier for people to seek care and, and get support. Mm, for sure. And I think that's a great thing. Um, before we hopped on, Nicole and I were actually kind of taking the conversation back. Uh, let's age ourselves <laughs> to like when Facebook started and I was in college at the time. And like, do you think... I mean, Katie, I, I believe you're in the same age realm as us, um, and but you were certainly probably studying at that point in time. Do you think that social media being so digital now that that's had a bit, big impact on mental health, um, increased loneliness, people feeling the need to have these conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the social media is such a layered topic, you know, we were talking about not that long ago, we were talking about attention, social media, and just our digital media has really impacted how people interact with their work. And even like our attention spans are getting impacted by it. I think the loneliness piece, putting a pin in COVID, because obviously all that isolation made an impact for a lot of people. But with social media, I think on paper, on paper, almost everyone knows that you're seeing other people's highlights for the most part, a very curated selection of highlights. And at the same time, as many people know that logically, it is very difficult to scroll through whatever feed you might subscribe to and not have some kind of comparison of my insides versus their outsides. It's it's, I, it is very tricky for people. And I almost think of the, pe- the way people manage it is either pull back quite a lot or um, be very specific about who they're following, what they're following, and, and how they're using social media. Um, but I think there, there can be this big disconnect from this is what my life is, and that's what their life looks like. And there's a big um, discrepancy. And so that can add to that loneliness, feeling like either you don't belong or you don't match up. I, I do think that's made an impact. Which is which is really interesting because when I think about when I first started to use social media, it was a way for me to continue to communicate with my friends because I had moved away from Australia. I was living in Dubai at the time and I had even a stint where I had lived in Japan before that. So I kind of had friends all over the world. And so for me, I saw social media as a way to communicate, which is where I, I find this contradiction and and yet I understand everything you said about how social media can make us feel lonely, but it's, it's almost contradictory. It's almost, you, you'd think we would have solved for loneliness with social media because people can talk to other people more easily, but maybe it's what you said. It's how we're actually using it or the way it's played out. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have it top of mind, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there was a research study that showed how you use social media impacts your experience of it. If you use it to kind of passively consume, that does tick up depression, anxiety, what have you. If you're using it more as primarily a way to connect with people with whom you've already had solid relationships, I think it is a 
a positive experience. So it's, it's sort of, ha- and it depends on the tool. I think each different social media tool probably goes a different direction. Nicole and I, I think more and more social media gets woven into almost every conversation we have because everything that we talk about, we're like, how did social media impact this? <laughs> and I think that it's a, a, you know, a topic that maybe we don't, it's like so much a part of our lives that you don't even, it's almost subconscious that this is happening all the time, right? Most recently, though, we were talking about social media detox, like just having stints where we don't go on social media at all. I removed social media apps from my phone. So like my opportunity, I I think of it as an opportunity, my opportunity to be on social media is when I'm at my computer. And also, I think another form of using or, or how we leverage social media is a huge part of my social media consumption and participation is for our business. And I think that that is kind of like a third arm to this, that I know that my interaction with social media and the way that it makes me feel is drastically different because I use it a lot for business versus um, more of like a consumption tool. So yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And And there are some people who advocate, whether it's mental health or technology, different experts advocate for completely pulling back from social media and disconnecting and and sort of making a new chapter for yourself. I think a lot of people push back against that and say, Mm. that's a privilege. Like I don't, I can't disconnect from social media for X, Y, Z reason related to my career or this, like it's not an option at this point for, for some of us or for certain parts of life. What's your take on that though? Because it's always a choice, right? Mm. I think it's tricky because, and I know you all are, you're business owners, so you haven't, say, done a job application for a U.S. company recently. Mm. They want, they usually want a LinkedIn link or mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of connect, you know, even if you're, if you're just, if you're lumping LinkedIn with social media, um, I think that might be like the last thing that's pretty tricky to remove without impacting multiple parts of your life. I feel like we could do a whole episode (laughs) also just on like employers looking to your social media in the application process. And (laughs) that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah. Um, (laughs) In our pre uh, chat email communication between the three of us, I shared with you both that I've just finished a book uh, from probably the pop psychology realm called detox your thoughts, which I found really helpful. And there was this one part of it relating to social media that I found really helpful. And again, it goes back to how we're engaging, how we're interacting that I've actually implemented. So what I do now um, when I go on social, I think a lot of the times before I would just react and and I would think that that would be enough to just like, heart and just really do as much of that as possible to show that, you know, I'm I'm here, I see you, I acknowledge you. But one of the tips that came out of this, and I'm curious to, to know if Katie, this is something that you recommend or how or, or what you say to people, instead of doing that, stop and engage with the person, ask a question, choose someone um, in particular, you don't have to, you know, go through so many people, you can just be two or three people that day or in that session that you actually stop to check in with them, ask them a direct question, um, comment, but, you know, not just comment very lightly, 
with a reaction, take some more time to, yeah, to, to just express a little bit more of what you're seeing and engaging more with that content. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think you're speaking to, I, I like how you said it, you're sort of switching from passive to active as opposed to just like passively scrolling and I hit the heart or I hit the like button or whatever. And what that sounds to me is, is again, that kind of active form of investing in and contributing to your relationships using this mm -hmm. medium and using that opportunity to connect with someone, even though it's, it's not one-to-one, -one, it's one-to-many because I could read your comments theoretically, right? Like it's more of a public forum. Um, but I do think that that is a probably more engaging approach and a way to, yeah, just take you out of like that passive consumption role and more into this as a conversation I'm participating in a way that I choose. I'd imagine that it kind of makes you feel better about your time spent there too, because you're actually having a conversation then versus like, maybe I hearted that, but to actually spend time meaningfully contributing to that conversation or to that connection or relationship that you have with that person is very different. I was thinking about when we were talking about social media for business and all of us and, and Katie, you included, you know, you've had your own business. So we all know what that's like to kind of be in like a leadership role. Uh, not only, you know, looking out for yourself, but also the health and well-being and uh, mental overall mental wellness of your team. I'm taking the COVID back into the conversation now and thinking about like how much more weight that puts on business owners who have remote teams and who are now some of them dealing with that whole, like, do we go back to in-person if they were in-person before? Do we stay remote? Um, for people who have always been remote, I still feel like it feels a little bit different now. What are you seeing in terms of business owners being able to handle how they provide support, access, or availability for people who are needing maybe an online counseling session or uh, maybe even in person? Like, do you see business owners handling that differently now than previously? It does. I mean, I, I'm sort of basing my response off of what I've been seeing in the news, not not because I, you know, I only have the small window of my professional life. But I think um, in terms of what I've been seeing, like in the mental health field news, my understanding is that employers are feeling more pressure to provide mental health support as a benefit for their employees. And I think the market is responding to that and that there's a lot of there's a lot of different services that are starting to be offered, whether it's um, app focused. Um, I have a friend who works for a company where they get it's something uh, it's something oh, I can't remember what it's called, but they can basically get a one off session here and there. And otherwise they check in over Slack or something like that in between, oh. which I guess it kind of sounds a little bit like talk space, but it wasn't talk space, but, you know, getting, getting plugged into services and, and bigger companies have had what they call EAPs. I don't know if you all are familiar with that. Em no. Employee assistance program is something that very large institutions have had for a while. Um, they're historically not utilized very much. And you essentially can get four sessions or six sessions or 12 sessions with a therapist. Um, and I think that is becoming more and more 
desirable. I've always seen it through the lens of because our team is working from their own individual spaces, um, their own homes, I've felt like I wanted to make sure that they don't feel lonely, that they don't feel isolated, you know, that they still feel included as a part of the team. But I think it probably goes uh, beyond that. And so, yeah, I, I resonate with that feeling of pressure of is there anything else that I need to be looking out for because, you know, I don't want to let my team down and I don't want to neglect those kinds of responsibilities. Well, and I think that you get into a space too where you have what you can control from a team aspect. Like Nicole, we recently chatted about on an episode, like you do your team retreats and um, like I do team calls with my team so that we're all together versus like one-off calls. And I think that that's great. But then what about personal, what about their personal life? And what about what's happening at home that you don't know about that's not part of the business? Uh, I feel very blessed to have people on our team who we've developed relationships with over, you know, they've been with us for eight years. Like you really get to know someone over that period of time, right? Um, and thankfully, they've, uh, the connection that we have, they've felt comfortable opening up to us about things that are going on in their personal life, which allows us to be able to provide support or additional help in ways that we can. But yeah, what happens if you don't have that? How do you, it's a challenge, right? I mean, how do you provide support when you're not really sure that that support is needed? Mm -hmm. And depending on the business, it might not be viable to be able to, like mm -hmm. that resource just might not be available to the business, which of course is really a challenge because mm -hmm. you want to take care of your team so that your team can continue to, so the whole system continues to work. But if you don't have that resource available, it's challenging. And I wonder, like, even with these programs that you're talking about, Katie, and, and maybe some bigger companies or corporations, once you said it, I remember a company that I worked for as an employee had a program where we did have access to like X number of counseling sessions, which I ended up taking advantage of. However, I did have a hesitation there because then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now I'm like going to HR and they know I'm going to counseling. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that mean? You know, you start to have like these personal feelings of, am I going to be judged for this? Is this going to reflect poorly on me? Um, and and I, I, again, as we said, kind of when we open this episode up, I hope that that's going away. But do, do you think that it is? Do you think that people feel comfortable that oh, I'm okay with people in my workplace knowing that I'm going to counseling. I'm okay with my family knowing that. Or do you think that there is still some of that hesitation? Oh, I think there's a lot of that hesitation. Absolutely. And, and I think it depends on the person, on their family history, on their cultural background, on what level of privilege they have in any given situation. Like how safe do they feel disclosing certain pieces of information um, I think some companies are really working to create um, a community of inclusivity. And I know, I think it was, a, an in, I don't remember if it's Instagram or Twitter, but it's probably across all of them. There was some um, uh, trend a few months ago, gosh, and I forget the hashtag. It was something like, this is my pill or something like that. And people were taking pictures of their palm with whatever medication they may have been taking. Um, and it was a very public disclosure of of individuals sharing certain medications that they were taking. And I think we, I don't, I think Nicole, you were mentioning just like 
that the way cultural certain sub pockets of culture are just getting so open and transparent mm. about certain things. Um, and I don't think that that's all across the board. I think there are plenty of people that feel like that's something that stays inside my medicine mm-hmm. cabinet or my home or my family. Um, and certainly the way I grew who, up. Yeah. And there are others who want to push that. Yeah. Nicole, what is a, like you had mentioned, uh, and, and even you and I had talked about before this of like the, our parents' generation, how drastically different mental health and wellness was thought about, not talked about, (laughs) you know, how it was viewed in society versus now I think we've moved a lot away from that um, and towards a a better understanding, maybe a more open, hopefully, you know, people being more open to having that for themselves, um, not judging other people for doing what they need to do. Um, but you, you said like that, that's how you grew up. What were, what are some examples of like, did you feel like you just never were asked about it? So you never talked about it and your parents never talked about it. So you never talked about it or. Yeah. Cause I, I was, this is how naive I think I, I am right now, or perhaps I'm seeing things because I would think the stigma has been removed, but Katie, you're very much, you know, revealing that. No, that's not, that's not true. But personally, in my experience, I don't think we had the language or we, it wasn't talked about. I don't think depression complaining was an option. We had to be grateful for, and it, and it was never like, in a negative way, it was more like, let's look at all the things that you have to be grateful for. Um, so let's put a positive spin on it, on everything. So there's just no room for being upset, being depressed, being stressed or anxious. I honestly, the, the word anxious, the word anxiety, I could be misspeaking. I feel has entered my vocabulary much later in life. And, and that's not to say that I didn't experience it. I, I was talking at the top of the episode uh, before you jumped on, Katie, that I've shared an experience in my early 20s um, where I did experience anxiety when I was living overseas. I didn't have the understanding that that is actually what I was going through, which I think kind of blows my mind right now saying that out loud, you know, 20 years on, that is actually what I was experiencing, but I had no... Yes, it's a combination. I was in a foreign country, um, but genuinely I did not know what I was experiencing. And I think this day and age, which is where I'm naively thinking, oh, the stigma has been removed. We're talking about it now. We're more open. It's okay. I think I might have had a different experience now. Mm-hmm. It, it, the stigma has for sure been reduced reduced. But I think both of you had a reaction when I mentioned that social media of taking a picture of your palm with the pills Mm -hmm. in it. I think both like that's, that's still that stigma. That's a, that's a piece of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, would you feel comfortable if you were working with a more traditional company, would you feel comfortable telling your boss, Hey, I can't come to that 2 PM meeting. I have a therapy session scheduled then, you know, like that's where it's still absolutely present. And it's, and the, it's very strong because you might not have even thought of those examples because it's just like that. I absolutely, I would not take a picture of my palm and whatever medical care is happening in my life and post that on social media. Not that that is the solution. I'm definitely not saying that that is where we should be heading. Cause I, I don't know what the solution is. Um, 
I think for that, that's an amazing example of you were having strong, anxious symptoms. You didn't know how to label them years ago. And I think maybe if you were having that now and you still didn't have the word anxious or you still weren't exactly what sure what it was, you would have probably talked with a friend and they may have said like, hey, you know what? Like I have OCD and I've had panic attacks before. That's what that sounds like to me. You might want to see a therapist or you might want to go see your doctor or something like that. That's I think that's usually where the conversation starts nowadays, mm. as opposed to just this is a very private, something's wrong with me or I'm having a heart attack or, you know, with a panic attack, sometimes you feel like you're dying. Literally, they think, you know, yeah. I'm dying. So something like that may have been the interpretation before. And now, now it might be more, okay, maybe I need to talk to a therapist. So I think people are getting help earlier in the cycle, mm. which is great. Not everyone, but I think some. Yeah. I think that conversation with a friend would probably be more common now versus my parents' generation. So what does that then mean for people, Katie? Like if Nicole today or me today is having anxious feelings or um, I'm, I'm sad a lot and I'm not really sure why, um, I, like I know that what I'm experiencing isn't how I've always felt, but I don't really have a friend or a family member who I feel I can talk to about it. Like, I mean, are people going to the internet and and Googling, like, what does this mean if this, or like, what do you think is the, what's a path for somebody that might not have a friend they can call up? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people consider go like Dr. Google. I think there's, there's a lot of a lot of rabbit holes that get started there. Um, I think a lot of people talk to their primary care doctor that they might see mm -hmm. for like a regular physical. Sometimes it's like a manager at work that might notice something. But yeah, I think I think it's pretty common that people would go to the internet um, for better or for worse because obviously that can who knows what direction that leads someone into. Well, it can be a little frustrating. Like I've gone in onto Google, you know, after Gus eats something weird and I'm like, is my dog going to die? And Google's like, <laughs> and, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. One article is like, definitely. And then the other article is like, well, if this, 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 and this, and then another article is like, your dog's fine. I'm like, okay, not in a better place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's frustrating, right? That we want to go there for answers and we kind of end up with more questions after that. Um, but I will say, I mean, I'm like an avid podcast listener and I hear a lot of advertisements and, and people talking about on different types of podcasts, um, these online counseling tools and, and telemedicine phone numbers that you can call and remain completely anonymous. So, I mean, I think that it's really great that things like that are available kind of circling back to the beginning of our conversation. I mean, what's available online now and through telemedicine that wasn't available before to think that you could have that conversation with a, a qualified psychologist or, or whatever, uh, versus, I have to go into an office, sit in a waiting room, like, you know, all of there, there were barriers before. I don't really feel like there's too many barriers now, some for depending on your situation, but much more accessible, which is great. Yeah. And you mentioning podcasts, I think was also a, a there are a lot, I don't know, I don't have specific titles in mind, but I think there is a wealth of knowledge of podcasters who are sharing certain things around mental health, or even obviously, you know, 
books like Nicole was mentioning that first pop psychology book but there's there's a book there's a book written in like the 90s I think um feeling good by David Burns and it's just like basic cognitive behavioral therapy in a book and starting there can sometimes be all someone needs not necessarily everyone for sure but even just educating yourself around like what does depression look like what does if I have a family history of xyz what might I want to be aware of especially as I approach certain life phases, like for women, if they, if they're pursuing pregnancy can be a risk factor for anxiety or depression, especially if that's in their family tree. So they're just even educating yourself on like certain little vulnerabilities that you might be carrying can be helpful. I'm curious, Katie, what you, um, your opinion is about, or your perspective on there's, you know, a lot of the messages that we're talking about that we get through social media, a lot of, um, there's a lot of positive messages, right? Gratitude, positivity, you know, self-care, all of those positive things that, that come through. And I think I'm still stuck on maybe from my upbringing, that idea of like, be grateful, you know, all these things that you should be grateful for, but it can be really hard, right? I mean, I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear what your answer, I suppose, to that mentality is of always look for the silver lining, always, there's always something to be grateful for. Um, you know, what happens when someone just it finds it really hard to see those things that they should be seeing tech, they should, should in inverted commas. Yeah. I, I do think gratitude and positive psychology and thinking in an empowered way, I think that becomes either someone basically lives in that zone a lot of the time, or that can become part of the journey of coming back to mental health and mental wellness. Depending on where you're starting from, what's tough about gratitude is that it can feel if someone, if, if you're having a terror, you lost a parent you are struggling as a parent of a child, you're, you just were fired, or you're struggling with work, whatever might be happening in life. If someone kind of comes down with, well, you should just be grateful, it can be a very invalidating experience, and can almost double a person down on I already felt felt bad. And now I feel guilty for feeling bad. And so I'm a bad person for feeling bad about this. And I, you know, it can just turn into this tight little spiral that someone ends up sort of getting fused in. And so it's it's interesting how giving people permission to be upset about something or to be sad about something, it kind of opens that up. And then that gratitude is usually not far. But if you don't have that, just from my experience, if you don't give them that first step, it's so hard to get the, it's like, it's a double-edged sword almost. The gratitude feels punitive if you don't give them that step, whatever. And that step might be months of being sad, depending on if you're grieving over something really intense. Um, I don't know. There's no like linear time scale, but it could be an hour or it could be much longer than that, that someone needs to give themselves permission to feel down. Um, obviously with limitations, like we're talking about a whole spectrum of what people can go through and people can go through experiencing very traumatizing thoughts or suicidality or things like that, where you're not just going to wallow there. That needs for sure significant intervention. But I think there's a fair amount of therapy that's being with and allowing for kind of the reality of what you're experiencing. That's a very, that's a very good perspective. 
I feel I'm not a parent and I feel for, I guess I, I, I could see my parents' side of the way they felt very grateful as immigrants coming to Australia, being in a land of opportunity and having a new, a new chance at life. And, and then I see current parents now who've also, um, come from very different cultures, different backgrounds where they're seeing their children have very different experiences, um, so much better than what they had. And so I get that sense of frustration that they have when they see a younger generation struggling with mental health or and mental wellness, and they're trying hard to find that connection. So I don't have an answer for that. It's just, it's just I empathize or not empathize, but I, I sympathize with them. Because I can imagine it would be hard. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I think as you come to sort of our age range or younger, you start to realize how challenging it is to be a parent. And you go back and you look at your own sort of youth days and think about, oh my gosh, my parents were struggling with XYZ and I didn't even know. And I was complaining about what I wore to school. And yeah, I think absolutely there's that uh, almost opportunity divide and mismatch that people that's very understandable. Yeah. The perspective is so different. So Katie, when you were talking about the book and Nicole offering what you were talking about as well with the gratitude, it, it has me like mindset keeps coming up for me. And I'm curious, like how mindset plays into all of this, like Katie in your world is mindset a part of what you teach or is it totally separate? And then I'm also thinking of like, I mentioned the podcast episodes and having these like telehealth or, or being able to reach a counselor um, via text message or through online. Um, and then I think about all the accompanying meditation apps and, and like that whole thing. So like, how does meditation mindset and all these things that we learn about in a really big way as online entrepreneurs, I feel like that's really big in our space. How does that compare or where does it fit into uh, this world of like therapy and counseling? Mm -hmm. um, I think there are probably a lot of therapists and, and or coaches, depending on what they're operating in absolutely would feel like they work on mindset. Mindset is about thoughts, perspective, and the style of therapy that's very popular nowadays that I was trained in is cognitive behavioral therapy. All that means is we're working on thoughts, we're working on behaviors. And so cognitive is all about that mindset part. A lot of that mindset is also about like how you hold your body and what you do. And so that would be that behavioral part. So in a lot of way I kind of think about it is that we humans have been trying to figure out how to live on this planet together and with all of our stressors for a very long time. And so we've had a lot of different tools. And I think we kind of label them differently. Because for example, many people come from faith backgrounds, where they're tapping into something that you might consider mindfulness or meditation, but it's coming from a it's coming from the angle of faith, which has a slightly different spin or maybe experience to it. But someone who's coming from more of a secular background doesn't feel comfortable with the word prayer. So they may lean towards these meditation apps, things like that. So I think there's a lot of um, almost wordsmithing, not that there aren't differences, but there's a lot. There's It's one of those things where I think a lot of people mention like, um, we humans, we have so much more in common than we do differences. And I think in terms of those tools, there's much, much more in common than differences between them. That's, that's how I think about it. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. 
I, I was also thinking about when you were talking about reading that book and being able to recognize like, oh, okay, I can identify with this or like, this sounds like what I'm experiencing. And I felt that in such a powerful way with mindset books. Like I remember reading Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. And I felt like every paragraph, I was like, that's what I was thinking, or that's what I was feeling. And, and I didn't know how to describe it. And I didn't know why I had those thoughts. And he just like every single one was like, exactly. Um, and I, I think that that's really powerful, like not to be cliche about it, but when we do open up to these resources and, and, you know, the books, the blogs, the podcasts, like the information and the content that we have available to learn from is really mind blowing. And just picking something up and not having a judgment about like what it is or what it means about you or any of that, just being open to learning from it is, I think, a really powerful message. Yeah. And I think what's so nice nowadays is, you know, we all have different learning styles. I'm like a library nerd. Give me a book. I'll just be all up in it. You are, you're more of a podcaster. You're going to listen to podcasts all day long, even though I know you're talking about the T. Harvecker book, but I think we all have our preferences of like what we go to. And so for many people, it's going to be YouTube or for others, it's going to be that meditation app for others. It's going to be, I found, um, I found the tradition of AA and that that has remodeled my life for others. It's, I found the journey of fitness. And so there's, there's like so many different um, ways that mental health can be expressed. And I think whatever tool you resonate with that works for you, like just lean into it because it doesn't have to be therapy, personal trainers, hairstylists, like many, many people almost behave in this way throughout their days of soothing people and supporting people and normalizing experiences. There's, there's a lot of different ways that you can experience it. Um, not that going to a therapist's office shouldn't be, I mean, I, I love therapy. I think people should absolutely <laughs> like go, go experience therapy if they feel like that's a benefit. But I think that as you're saying, there are just so many different ways that we can experience it now. I think it's a great point because I'm naturally a talker. I feel that I benefit from talking things out and to just by default tell somebody to, or advise somebody to go and talk to someone, maybe that's not their mode of dealing with things and just being aware of that. I think it's, it's great that we, that we recognize that. I think it's super important Well, Katie, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for your time and expertise today. We're so happy to have this convo with you. We're grateful for your time and just being open. And it was so fun to reconnect. Yeah, it was so nice to see you both. And thank you. I mean, this is stuff that I can geek out and nerd out about all day long. So I love getting to talk with you both about it. It was so great to reconnect with you. And I, I, you know, I'll admit I had a lot of nervousness around this talking about this topic, but um, you made it super easy and it's, you know, one more conversation and I feel more comfortable in, in revisiting this topic with less hesitation and more openness. So thank you, Katie. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right, friends, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Katie today as much as we did all around mental health. And we hope that you were able to pick up a thing or two you can carry with you today and moving forward to give you that extra boost of confidence and support when you need it most. And friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
And if you have a friend who might also enjoy our chats, share the podcast with them too. Send them to canrelatepodcast.com or have them search Nicole and Kate Can Relate on their favorite podcast app. Until next time.